Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Michael Sazzle, welcoming in special guest today, Illustrated, our sister site. Brother site, sister site, what do we call that, Ryan Burns? Well, you tell me. I mean, West Virginia, you tell me. We can be cousins. I mean, I love love myself a little bit of John Denver, I'll be honest. I think that's one of the coolest things in college football is after the game, when you all start singing... Little country roads. I think that's fantastic. I've watched it a few different times, so we can be cousins. How's about how's about that? All right, we can definitely do that. Um, they like to brand that here the greatest tradition in college sports, and I don't know about that. There's a couple pretty cool ones out there, um, but the more I talk to people who see it or who get to experience it for the first time, they come away with a similar impression as to like, holy cow, goosebumps! That was fun, emotional game, emotional conclusion when they do the song. So I guess it does rub people the right way, but. One thing we can talk right about here off the bat, both of these coaches have that similar branding capacity. Uh, Neil Brown has, has leaned into the country roads and the singing at the end of the game, and that was started before him, but he certainly continued that. He has trust the climb. P.J. Fleck, these two are in a mutual admiration society. Membership two, <laughs> Ski Yuma, row the boat. He has his labels. He has his branding, too. In some way, this seems like they belong together on the bowl stage. Yeah, I, I think every press conference that now Flex is going to be ending his fifth year, going into his sixth year here in 22, he ends every press conference or whatever the media appearance is with Sky Uma, row the boat, and go Gophers. And I can't, uh, cannot tell you how much the fans have leaned into that, how much they have embraced that. I mean, I got usernames on my site that are literally Sky Uma, row the boat, go Gophers. So people, uh, people love that. I mean, he's got his whole row the boat that came with him from Western Michigan. Now, I don't know if some of your listeners kind of know what the origin story is of that, because again, I can understand why if you don't know the origin story, you certainly think it's a gimmick. Uh, but Fleck had uh, a child die at a young age. And that was one of the things that uh, he kind of used as, you know, a way to get him through it is just keep your, you know, he'd see would just say, keep your oar in the water and keep going. Uh, because obviously if something like that is very traumatic, something like that can certainly hold you back. And that's where, He's kind of embraced that and kind of made it into uh, a mantra of sorts that is plastered all over the Minnesota football facility. So it's certainly interesting. I mean, you mentioned the country roads. PJ's got his row the boat. But, yes, both of them certainly know how to be marketers. Um, Sky Yuma, I think I said. Yes. Sorry about Sky that. Yuma, not Ski Yuma. I can understand why you say that unless you knew uh, something beforehand. So I can assure you no one's going to. Throw hate your way because if you didn't know, like if you didn't hear me say that, and you're like, yeah, it's just ski Yuma. I mean, you're just going to be going skiing. It's so sky Yuma. It yep. it predates Fleck and many many coaches before him. This is some 19th oh, yeah. century thing that he's just kept going to. It's not one of his creations, but it's certainly something he's resurrecting. It's like the too. it's like the you know the battle cry or whatever you know of uh, for Minnesota sky Yuma. Uh, yes, it certainly predates him, certainly predates you, me, our grandparents. 
uh, probably the people before them, because I believe it's like a late 1800s thing uh, when Minnesota was founded there. That's where Sky Uma came into it. Speaking of throwbacks, this is a, a 10:30 kick, but this game may be over by midnight because they're both going to run the ball. It looks like, and they <laughs> they yep. covet time of possession. Um, that's probably going to be a key stat in this game, or somewhat indicative of who wins because it'll be their style. I always talk about how West Virginia is it, it sometimes has a hard time getting into its lane, but when it gets into its lane, it can be a pretty good team. There's a certain style they want to play, and it's become run the ball, play defense. I look at Minnesota from afar and then up close since this game was announced and they get in their lane. They do not, but they seem like they have an easy time of getting in their lane. And then I'm again, I've written this too. I don't think it's the best running game or the most prolific running game, but darn if it's not the most determined running game because they run the ball in such a high percentage. And then with all the injuries at running back to this year to be so committed to it, but also so productive, um, it's an impressive operation there. How has it happened? Yeah, I mean, uh, you certainly did your research. I'm a little bit behind in my bowl prep. I'll be, <clears throat> I'll be honest here because of the whole National Signing Day thing, and then I was at a wedding in Podunk, North Carolina, this past, this past weekend. But you look at Minnesota's offense, and you mention it. The running backs. We can start there. Is coming into the season, they had the reigning Big Ten running back of the year, Muhammad Ibrahim, someone that you know if he could have put up some of the gaudy stats that the entire running game did this year, because Minnesota had five different 100-yard rushers which I believe they were the only FBS team to do. Now, Minnesota plays Ohio State to start the year. They're well into it with them late into the third quarter. I believe it's a one-touchdown game. And then Mo Ibrahim takes one off the right edge and pops his Achilles. And so Minnesota loses their best player on offense in the first game of the season. And then they get down to running back two, Trey Potts, who someone that was pretty productive, had over 500 rushing yards in four games. Then he goes down with a mysterious season-ending injury against Purdue that, you know, for him, I'm send, still sending positive thoughts and vibes his way because he ends up being hospitalized for the next six days after Minnesota's game against Purdue with an injury that hasn't been released to the public yet. Uh, they then go down to another running back, has his, uh, tears, his, uh, tears his knee up in uh, Preston Jellin. Uh, Bryce Williams then breaks his leg, I believe. And you're sitting here thinking to yourself, what angry running back God is up there just throwing all these obscure injuries that I've never seen before. I mean, Minnesota in late October is on running back six and running back seven. Now for them, it happens to be two four-star kids by the name of Kai Thomas and Marquise Irving. And this thing continues to hum. But why it continued to hum is I think the running back coach did a really good job. But also Minnesota's offensive line is the most experienced one in college football. They have an ungodly amount of starts up there. All five of the guys up there were either all-conference or all-conference honorable mention, including the two guys on the right side of the line, Daniel Fa'alele, who is an Australian monstrosity and going to the Senior Bowl at six foot eight, 400 pounds. I can assure you, whatever West Virginia fans are out there in Phoenix for that 10-30 kick, they're not going to be able to miss Minnesota's right tackle. And then Blaze Andrews as well is someone who is first team all-Big Ten. They're two guys on the left side. We're uh, all Big Ten guys. Their center was second team all Big Ten as well. I mean, they're very good up front. Plus, they have a tight end by the name of Coquive, who Pro Football Focus graded as the number one run blocking tight end in college football. That's why this thing continues to hum. Now, the question is going to be, you mentioned how determined they were the entire season to run the ball. Minnesota, I believe, had the fourth least amount of passing attempts in college football. It was the three service academies and then Minnesota. Well, PJ didn't like that too much, and he fired his offensive coordinator, Mike Sanford, who is now the OC at Colorado. So he landed on his feet 
Uh, they obviously signed back Kirk Sharaka, which we can get into, but he's not going to be the one really involved in the bowl prep. He's not the one calling the plays. So I don't really know what to tell you because the last time we saw Matt Simon, who's Minnesota's uh, play caller for this game, it was the 2020 Outback Bowl where Minnesota actually put up 30-plus points on what was a very good Auburn defense. It was an Auburn run defense specifically that was averaging 85 yards against them on the ground. Minnesota put up, I believe, 170. So it's going to be an interesting uh, little showdown in, in Phoenix because I don't know what to really expect from Matt Simon. Uh, obviously, Kirk Sherrock is now here. but And as far as I know as well, I mentioned all those guys up front, and Minnesota is going to be having four of them either go to the NFL or graduate. But all four of them have said, you know, we're playing in this. You know, there there is not a single opt-out on this Minnesota team right now, and that's absolutely huge for them up and down the trenches. Lots to unpack there, Ryan. I want to go over that. Blaze Andrews says he's going to go pro, but after the game. Uh, Correct. Says he's coming back. It doesn't seem like yep. anybody really is bailing the boat, so to speak. So that's really good, too. But all the offensive stuff, and yet covering West Virginia, I'm sure I know what the fans are thinking here because they heard the word tight end and the ears perked up. Uh, they're monsters. And there's two of them. Um, one is much more of a blocker and almost like another offensive tackle, it looks like. That would be Keith. Um, mm-hmm. But the other guy has become a pass-catching target lately, too. Um, how often do they play together? Because they do a lot of outside zone and they seal those edges, but that offensive line is good enough. Maybe they don't need to go into a personnel package of two tight ends. But also, how important are they in the running game and maybe of late in the passing game? Yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, uh, they play it together quite a bit. I'd say if you look at the snap counts for them, they're both going to be over 55%, somewhere between 55 and 65% of the plays for Minnesota. They do like to go 12 personnel at times. I mean, we've seen, I'll be honest with you, we've seen packages where Minnesota will bring out a couple extra offensive linemen, a couple extra tight ends in, in Keith and Brevin Span forward, the pass catching tight end you mentioned. So, you know, if if you're bringing in, say, three tight ends and that's a jumbo package, when you're bringing in like two de facto tight ends that are 300 pound offensive linemen plus 260 pound tight ends, I'm going to call that the gargantuan package. You may or may not see that uh, against West Virginia here on the 28th, but Keith is huge for their set. I mean, it's, he's absolutely massive for their success. I mean, he was all my, he was, I believe, all conference honorable mention, but Again, he doesn't have the passing game stats to get the the all-conference bid there. But if you watch the games, and I believe pro football focus 100% because Co'Keefe is an absolutely devastating run-blocking tight end. He's the best run-blocking tight end I've seen at Minnesota in my 11 years covering this team. Whether he needs to take on an edge defender, whether he needs to take on a linebacker, whether he needs to take on a safety, it ain't going to go well for you. I, I'm just telling you. Uh, if if you're in the way of Koki, more times than not, you're going to end up on your back. And uh, his nickname is the Angry Ginger. Uh, if you want to take a look at a picture of Koki of late, I mean, he shaved his entire head except for like a nine-inch long rat tail off the back. And he, he ended up, after their win against Wisconsin, ended up uh, cutting that off. But, I mean, you mentioned Brevin Spanford as well. He's someone I have been banging the table for because he's six foot seven. 270 pounds, uh, was a division one basketball prospect as well. And when you throw the ball to Brevin span forward, he's too big for safeties and he's too fast for linebackers. Good things tend to happen. And that's where I know that Matt Simon is a big fan of Brevin span forward. And I would expect that you're going to see him get probably a 
three, four, five targets against West Virginia on the 28th. Keep looks like a Viking. Yeah. I mean, and the best part is, you know, I, I've gotten to know his family pretty good. and They've leaned into the whole thing. And so is Co. Like he knows, I mean, he had a grizzly beard with a shaved, you know, like 75% of his head shaved. I mean, that's the beauty of college football. Like if you're a tight end in college football, that's what you, you know, stereotypically, you know, you think of with whether it be Blue Mountain State or whatever the the random college football show, like the tight end, the tight ends not, don't usually get a lot of uh, love in the, uh, in the glamour department, I'll say. And that's where. Co has certainly leaned to it. He looks like a Viking, and I tell you, I mean, he plays like someone that could be on a 53-man roster just to for 15 plays a game, be out there to run block, and that's uh, something he certainly leaned into. Uh, you mentioned rolling in extra offensive linemen. I believe they started different games if you're with six or seven offensive linemen, so it's not just a short yardage thing. Sometimes it's like, hey, let's get right down to business, too. It's who they are. It's what they do. It's certain really well. Um, and they just they consistently do it. There's two games I want to I want to pick your brain about if you don't mind here because they don't make a lot of sense. The Bowling Green one, <laughs> and then okay. and then Illinois and Illinois maybe makes a little bit better discussion. I look at the Bowling Green one. I just wonder like okay, great win against Colorado the week before, shut them out, play great on defense. You're supposed to steamroll Bowling Green, and hey, it happens. You fall asleep at the wheel, and maybe you're not good enough to get the get the car back on back on the highway before you hit a you know a guardrail or a deer or something like that. I get that. But the Illinois one, what can we glean from that one there? If you're a West Virginia fan, observer, player, coach, something about that game, something about that matchup that just didn't turn out that day. What do you think happened? Well, I can tell you both because of Bowling Green and because of Illinois, Mike Sanford no longer has employed by the University of Minnesota because Bowling Green is a terrible team. And that's no offense to any of the Falcon staff or any of the Falcon players. But you look at what Bowling Green accomplished the rest of the season. It ain't great. And for a Bowling Green defense to hold Minnesota to 10 points is inexcusable. And everybody at that stadium that day knew that Minnesota's passing game has been the big issue. And you look at the issues against Illinois, you look at the issues against Bowling Green, you look at it, the defense only allows 14 points in both games. And I believe in both of those games, one of those scores was on a short field. And the passing game with Tanner Morgan is why Another reason why Mike Sanford is no longer here, because when Kirk Scirocco was here in 2019, Tanner Morgan was obliterating things. He had 30 touchdowns, seven picks. Now it helps to have two NFL wide receivers and Tyler Johnson, who was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, catching passes from Tom Brady last night. Rashad Bateman, first round draft pick in the most recent draft to the Baltimore Ravens. And Minnesota doesn't have that now at their skill positions. But the regression from Tanner Morgan the last two seasons and specifically in those games where Tanner didn't play well, the whole passing game didn't play well, the concepts didn't make sense, the routes didn't make sense, everybody knew it. And that's where we kind of saw, you know, the theory here in the Minnesota media is, after that Illinois loss, I think we saw some changes internally within the Minnesota offensive staff with Mike Sanford was still calling the plays, but we saw some different wrinkles in whether it was the route combinations or whether it was the formations or just some different things that we really hadn't seen all season from specifically Minnesota's passing game that I think led to success in those final two games of the season against Indiana and then ultimately knocking off Wisconsin at home. But it, what we can glean is if you can somehow, well, not somehow because we've seen it, but if you can stifle Minnesota's passing game, which has been an issue the last two seasons, 
you know, and I don't think it's necessarily personnel related. I really don't because I think Minnesota's got bodies there. But some of the crazy concepts we would see, I mean, one thing Mike Sanford loved to do was go max protect. So he'd have eight guys in protecting. He'd only run two routes. And I remember watching it specifically in that Illinois game. Illinois would be like, okay, we're going to rush three and we're going to put eight into coverage. Eight into coverage against two receivers. They're in the Illinois' defensive coordinator's name, Ryan Walters. I can assure you from one Ryan to another, he's licking his chops thinking, yeah, I can cover two guys with eight. So good luck, Mike Sanford. But it's the passing game in those two games that have just significantly regressed the last two years for Tanner Morgan. And that's a big reason why Kirk Shiraka is now going to be the offensive coordinator in 22. Let's talk about Mr. Shiraka here. He's become a big figure for, I would say, harmless reasons. Difficult to blame somebody for moving up from analyst to offensive coordinator, especially linking up with a coach that he knows and has worked with and had great success with before. Um, we're going to allow the coaches to dismiss this as a non-factor. Uh, in fact, Neil Brown has said that the two head coaches talked about it. Um, they don't want Shiraka to coach the game. And in fact, he's not going to even go to Arizona, as last I heard. That's, that seems unfair to me, but okay. I mean, Phoenix is nice. Why do we have to be punitive about it? But okay, those are the breaks. That's the deal. Um, I don't think that Shiraka has to call plays to be a factor in this. Let's be honest. If he wants to sit down anytime before they get on the plane and say, here's what you need to know about West Virginia's offense, because by the way, I was involved in shifting it into this mechanism that has gone four and two down the stretch. He can certainly impart his wisdom on the defensive coaches there too. Um, factor or non-factor, do you think? Oh, I, I mean, I don't pretend to bury my head in the sand here and be naive about it just like you are. Even though Kirk Sherrock is not designing the game plan and not calling the plays, uh, I would imagine that there's been a conversation or two uh, from Kirk Sharaka to somebody on Minnesota's defensive staff about, like you said, I, you know, here's what you need to know. But I know that Kirk has an immense amount of respect for Neil Brown and that, you know, he talked about it with the Minnesota media that when he saw that he was going to be the offensive coordinator in Minnesota and also that the bowl opponent was going to be Neil Brown's West Virginia team, he hated it. I mean, he was he was very stressed out about it because he has a lot of respect for both P.J. Fleck and Neil Brown. And that's where he said they got on the phone, came to some kind of decision uh, because, it number one, it is an exhibition game of sorts. And, yeah, Minnesota wants to get to nine wins. West Virginia wants to get to seven wins, recruiting purposes, whatever you want to say. But, you know, Kirk wants to stay out of it as best he can because he has got a lot of respect for both head coaches. But. I'm with you. Uh, I, I do think there has been a conversation uh, to let Minnesota's defensive staff know, here's kind of what you need to know about West Virginia. And then uh, th he's going to kind of stay out of it from there. Because, you know, Minnesota has obviously had bowl practices. But from what I've heard, he's been, you know, if you know, if you've ever seen a Kirk Sharaka practice um, with him running around, he is an incredibly fiery dude. Would you look at him? He's probably five. I mean, have you seen Kirk's rock in person? I have. Yes. Yeah. He gets very, very angry, very, very quickly, uh, which is funny because his personality is, is so not that, I mean, he's very, he's very much a laid back guy. Uh, someone that he's, you know, he's even said he's not the most sociable guy in the world. He doesn't want to be, he'd rather be sitting in a room for 12 hours, watching tape than talking to anybody. But, uh, he has not been in much involved like he normally would be uh, in a practice. So it'll be interesting, like you said, because 
there's a fine line that Kirk's trying to balance here, uh, but I think he's doing the best job he could there. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Defensive coordinator I'm a fan of. He might not need a whole lot of help, too. Um, in fact, a lot of people are probably a fan of Rossi. Um, new contract. Looks like he'll be there for as long as he wants to be until maybe he gets a head coaching job somewhere. But has done an excellent job since he took over as interim coach just a couple of years ago. Um Excellent defense here, and this is what strikes me, Ryan, and perhaps you can explain this. I was looking at the all-Big Ten teams as assembled by the coaches in the media. And let's just look, first team, second team, third team. Coaches had yep. 34 picks, media had 33. So everybody picks a 1, 2, 3, 11 on each, 67 players because of a tie. One player on that defense was first, second, or third team by the coach yeah. media estimation. Yeah. How the heck did that happen and turn this into one of the best <laughs> defenses in the country? Yeah, I mean, that's a great that's a great nugget there. And that's one that we were kind of scratching our heads about as well. And now I think I need to take it back to 2020 because Minnesota's defense in 2020 in that COVID season was absolutely god awful. Specifically, they were putrid against the run going into December's games. They were averaging they number one. They were the worst run defense in college football by like two full yards, which should tell you everything. They were averaging nearly eight and a half yards of carry to running backs. Specifically, it was terrible. And now you look at where how far they've come with a lot of the same guys on defense. I would say eight of the 11 starters from the 2020 team started for Minnesota in 2021. And they just finished the 2021 college football regular season fourth in the country in total yards. They are, and then again, you mentioned that Minnesota is a team that loves to run the ball, loves to dominate time of possession, certainly. And that's going to play a part in the whole total defense thing. But they were also a top 10, top 15 run defense. They shut down a Wisconsin run game in the last game of the season that Wisconsin in each of their games in November had run for 200 plus yards. Braylon Allen, Wisconsin's running back coming into that game had been white hot in his last seven games had run for over a thousand rushing yards. Minnesota shut the, the Wisconsin rushing game down to 62 total yards. And that's why they won the game. And Rossi deserves a lot of credit for this turnaround. But you mentioned that even the guys up front, Minnesota's got two guys going to the senior bowl on their defensive line and Boye Mafe and Asezi Otomiwu. Now Boye got, I believe second or third team, all big 10 votes. He was the only one to do so. Asezi. Now the stats aren't going to look incredibly gaudy, but there's a reason he's going to the senior bowl and it's probably going to be a mid round pick yet. They couldn't find a way to put him on any of the teams. Apparently uh, Minnesota's Mike linebacker, Jack Gibbons, who they took from Abilene Christian as a transfer in the off season was fantastic. Led them in total tackles. Not sure if he's going to be an NFL guy or not because I question his sideline to sideline speed, but he's incredibly instinctual at linebacker and had played a huge role for them all season and a huge role why they had such a stark defensive turnaround or even they have a cornerback by the name of Coney Durr. I feel like he's 28 years old at this point because he was his sixth or seventh year of college football and he'll finally be gone after the bowl game, but nobody really threw at him because I think he had something like 14 targets against him all season in 12 games. Yet, that's a lot of respect for him. 
because opposing uh, offensive coordinators aren't throwing at him and they're going to throw at the other corner, yet he can't sneak onto a team. But I think that kind of speaks to why Minnesota was so good defensively was it was each level. And it was a bunch of these guys that I don't know how much, how many of them have NFL futures outside of a and Boye uh, at the defensive end spots, but they're very old up front. I mean, they have a, a seventh year defensive tackle by the name of Micah Du Treadway, where I can tell you he, he's really close to getting a hell of a rate on a rental car at this stage of his life with how old he is. And they're very old in the trenches. They're experienced at linebacker. Uh, their two safeties tackled much, much better this year, which, you know, like I do, if you have a, if you have a safety that can tackle well, it's a six-yard gain. If you don't, I watched it all last season. It was a 76-yard touchdown. So they were a much-improved tackling team, but you mentioned it. It's strange to look up now and see you have a defense who ends the year number four in the entire country in total defense, yet they only get one all-Big Ten selection. Wild, 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 wild. They're on a heater, too. Six straight games. Fewer than 300 yards, longest active streak in the FBS, and then top 10 this, top five this. Really yep. fantastic numbers. Um, I want to ask two things. Let's get to this one first, because what strikes me is that they are very good at getting off the field, but they do not do it with sacks and TFLs. They are not putting you behind the chains very much. You're not moving the ball, but you're not dealing with second and 15, uh, third and 11, things like that, just because... I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm guessing that they're just extremely sound. Their scheme, their fundamentals are all what they're supposed to be. And that may just be the product of what you're talking about. Good tackling, veteran players, do your job and let the other person do his job. Um, but it's not impressive in the the volume of plays, you know, the, the, the splash play, the TFL, the big hit behind the line of scrimmage. They just kind of wear you down with tackle, stop, play after play after play. And just one guy doing his job. It could be transfers who hit. It could be veterans who came back and could have been gone this year. It just looks to me like it's a team that everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Well coached, but also well executed. And that's the thing that the Minnesota defensive coordinator, Joe Rossi, has talked about all season long was it isn't just one guy. It's not just one first round edge player that has just been tearing it up. It's it's every level of the defense that's doing their job. And that's where you look at even early in the season for Minnesota. Rossi even talked about how they still were having guys trying to do me, me, me instead of we, we, we. And that's where as more time went on and as they started to find more success as a defense, more guys at each level of the defense were buying into the fact that if I just do my job, you know, whether it's I'm a, I'm a one technique defensive tackle and I got to eat this double team or whether I'm a defensive end needing to set the edge so that they can flow back inside the linebacker, whatever it may be. If I just do my specific job on that play, we as a collective unit on defense are going to find success. And that's what they were able to accomplish as, as you know, September went to October, October went to, to November. And as they obviously culminated with, again, that was a white hot Wisconsin offense coming into that game. Wisconsin had won seven straight games and they were murdering people specifically on the ground. And that's where whether you talk to Rossi afterwards, whether you talk to some of their defensive linemen, linebackers, it was they made it a point of emphasis that, hey, we're playing pretty well, too, and we can dominate in the trenches, too. And that's where up front, that's been the story is they're old. Boye Mafe is a fifth year player. Sezi Otomiwu is a fifth year player. Uh, Mike Adu Treadway is in his seventh year of college football. Niles Pinkney, a, a transfer they took from Clemson in the offseason. 
a, a fifth, six-year defensive guy. I mean, they're old all around there. And if you're old in college football in the trenches, usually things things usually happen pretty good for you. And that's where Jack Gibbons, the Abilene Christian transfer, I mentioned at linebacker that they took, a fifth-year player. Coney Dura, sixth-year player. They have a bunch of guys who understand that they're not trying to just get their feet wet at this point. They're trying to play good collective defense. And so that's where it hasn't been just one guy. It's everybody just doing their job. And that's why Minnesota's defense had such a turnaround this season. Final question for you. This is Ryan Birds from Google Real Estate joining us here as the preview guaranteed rate bowl. Ryan, there's a, a formula here, and this is not unique to West Virginia, but West Virginia's offense can be predictable so much so that we've been able to narrow it down this year. If, if your defense cannot stop the run, Okay. West is going to be effective. They're going to run because they can. Their offensive line has gotten better, and they would much rather run with quantity of carries than put the ball in the air a lot. I think sometimes opponents get that backwards, but if you watch it, you understand. If you can't stop the run, they're going to run and run on you. That's how their time of possession is inflated, and they've won some games. From TCU at the front, at the front of the back end of the schedule to Kansas at the end. Um, conversely, if you can pressure the quarterback and get stops, you're going to be disruptive. Um, if you can pressure the quarterback at TFLs, their offensive line can retreat, and Daigie can see ghosts and get rattled and not do very well. The one that I've noticed that is probably most consistent is completion percentage. If a secondary is very good, um, you don't have to pressure Daigie. He might make a mistake, or he might not throw it, or he might go through his reads because he doesn't see an opening. So absent some of the disruptive things that I've talked about, a run game that can push a defensive line back or a defensive front back or a defensive line or a front seven that could be disruptive. The completion percentage for Jared Daigie or Minnesota's defense here seems like it's one to watch. Minnesota does not allow completions. Um, they look like they're long and, and, and just physical in the back end there too. And it looks like a lot of cover two, cover four stuff. I know Rossi plays different things, but it looks like just quarter, quarter, half a bunch too. Um, their secondary is stingy and not a lot of pass plays, not a lot of completions. I know yards per game passing is kind of deceiving, especially when the time of possession is as it is. But it's not easy to run against Minnesota, but they make it really hard to pass, too. What is West Virginia looking at here? And should they be concerned about this consistently low completion percentage that Minnesota's allowed? You know, I'll say this. You know, I'm not just trying to toot your own horn there, Mike, but. I've taught, I've done a, a lot of these different type of preview podcasts this year with different publishers. You are the fir- you are certainly the one that has dug the deepest into it, and I hope your listeners can appreciate that because I, I haven't had a single person actually dive so far in that they know Rossi loves quarter coverage. I mean that's kudos to you, absolutely. I mean you are spot on. That what Minnesota wants to do is keep everything in front of them. Joe Rossi's biggest thing talks about it every week with the media has for years. He hates explosive plays. He doesn't want four plays, 75-yard scoring drives. If you're going to score, he wants it to be 8, 10, 12, 14 plays where you're just going to have to dink and dunk your way down the field. And you look at Minnesota's losses this year. I look at Iowa's one specifically where I've never seen P.J. Fleck lose a game like that, where Minnesota against Iowa had 40 minutes time of possession, won the turnover battle, but they lost the game ultimately because they gave up way too many explosive plays And those explosive plays, three of them specifically, all went for touchdowns. And that's going to kill you against a team like Minnesota, where under Mike Sanford, their passing game was incredibly anemic. But that's what they want to do defensively, is they want to put you in these second and third and longs where they can get their passing game package onto the field. You're going to see a lot of guys standing at the line of scrimmage. You're going to see a lot of guys 
uh, doing stunts and twists up front, especially on passing downs. And they're going to just make the West Virginia offense be able to dink and dunk their way down the field because you mentioned the run game. Now, I think you and I both have to put the giant disclaimer, especially now that we are in bowl season and we see it all the time and we'll see it quite a bit here over the next 10 to 14 days. What team wants to be there? Because, I mean, that's this isn't just another regular season game where six days ago you just played and it's Friday night. Now you've not got another game on Saturday. You've had a month off. I mean, I've seen it so many times, just like you have, where if, if one team just doesn't want to be there, it's going to get a, become a blowout very quickly. Now, I would tell you that in, under P.J. Fleck, Minnesota is undefeated in bowl games. Um, they have Fleck has motivated that team in the couple times that they've been to the bowl that they're going to come out with everything they have. And I look at the how Minnesota doesn't have a single opt out uh, that we certainly know about, I guess. Uh, you know, as far as I've been told that all of those guys, the senior bowl guys included, have been practicing and plan to play. So if Minnesota can stop the run against West Virginia, which they've done a pretty good job most of the season, it'll be interesting to see what kind of different nuances we see from Rossi to try and get uh, the quarterback there off of his game because Minnesota's got an immense amount of respect. I've talked to, I think, four or five different defensive players since the Wisconsin game, P.J. Fleck a couple times, defensive coordinator Joe Rossi. They are very nervous about the skill possession talent uh, for West Virginia's offense. and. Now, some of the different screen things they do just to get their playmakers in space, they're very leery about that. They're spending a lot of time preparing for different things that they might see from that West Virginia offense. But if it goes to plan for Joe Rossi, and you mention it, it's keep everything in front of you. The, t- you know, the tackle for loss and the sacks aren't normally there, but Minnesota's gotten a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They haven't always been able to obviously convert that into a tackle for loss or a sack or whatever it may be. But if the quarterback's got four, five, six seconds to be able to survey the field. You know, like I do, things aren't probably going to go well. If he's got under four seconds and he's got to make a quick decision, Minnesota's coverage is usually planning for that. So it'll be an interesting little game of cat and mouse as Joe Rossi tries to figure out how to stifle that West Virginia offense. I don't know about you, Ryan, but I'm very excited about this now. My, <laughs> my anticipation has gone from like a six to an eight, maybe eight and a half, nine here, because now I'm thinking about the unexpected because you look at this game and you spend so much time because we have so much time in between trying to figure out what happened and what's going to happen. But the argument right. you've made, and I've kind of talked myself into quietly here is that there might be some surprises here too, or might be some, I don't know, effective coaching changes, like you said, or just the fact that a team has a chance to step back and do something different, learn about the opponent, but learn about themselves. And Hey, we're all going to tune in and watch this. And now we have another reason. So kudos to you. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just trying to hype up this game. So uh, your people out there in West Virginia for a 1030 start, which I'm sure they're all incredibly thrilled about are, uh, are very excited to actually tune in and see at least for the first half until midnight there, what that thing looks like. And if it's a blowout, if it's not, and that's where like, I'm excited for this game too. I'll be out there in Phoenix, but I also understand it is essentially an exhibition game, especially for, again, say what you will, it's the guaranteed rate bowl. You know, this isn't a new year's day bowl. Um, so it's what team actually wants to be there. What team actually shows up, what team that if something goes wrong early, are they just going to fold in because you're already on vacation? I mean, I don't know when West Virginia is getting out there. Minnesota is going to be out there on the 23rd. So they're already going to be, it'll be their fifth day out in Phoenix. Now I can assure you as someone who's currently looking out his window to seeing snow covered grounds, I believe it's 15 degrees out there. Like Minnesota is going to enjoy being in 70 degree Phoenix. 
but are they going to be so relaxed that they don't want to be there? Again, there's so many just random nuances to this game where I'm excited to see what it looks like. I think as we do in most bowl games, you're going to know within the first 20 minutes what team wants to be there, if there's a team that doesn't want to be there. And then I think the scoreboard will reflect that accordingly. But between Minnesota's changes at the offensive coordinator position, between Kirk's Rocka now being back, uh, between Neil Brown obviously having a lot of extra time here as well to try and figure things out against Minnesota's offense and defense, that's why I love bowl season. And that's why I'm excited to be at Chase Field down there in Phoenix on the night of the 28th. Follow our new friend, Ryan, over at Gopher Illustrated. He will have everything colored on, covered on site from Chase Field. Ryan, can't thank you enough for your time. We'll do this again sometime soon. Maybe in a non-conference game, maybe another bowl game in the future. Who knows? But can't come soon enough. Thank you once again. Until next time, my name is Mike Asaza. We'll talk to you soon.